Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it to go there, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo into the sea, the light and the load. But Jonah, he had gone down into the inner part of the ship, laying down and was fast asleep. So the captain came, saying to them, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call your God. Perhaps that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to one another, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And the sea grew more and more to match just. And he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. It's for, because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew even more and more to match just against them. Therefore they called out to Yahweh, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased. So they picked Jonah up, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased immediately from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord had appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together and ask the Lord's help to open this passage. Lord, this is your word. We are your people, and we gather not because of custom not because of cycles. We gather because we want to hear from the living God who speaks to his people with a word sharper and active than a two-edged sword. Ever I pray, take the preacher and hide him behind the word. May the Holy Spirit have reign over me. And over this congregation, give us ears to hear, Lord, what you are saying to us. This is no mere tale. This is no bit of history that is fascinating. This is your word that speaks to us today in our situation. So come, Lord Jesus, glorify yourself through the agency of the Holy Spirit, and may the Father be pleased, for we ask it in your name. Amen. The word mercy is one which is rich throughout the book of Jonah. As we looked at the book of Ruth a few weeks back, there was two major themes that came from Ruth, the providence of God as he guided and operated events through history, and the faithfulness of God, the hesed love, the steadfast love of the Lord. And now as we come to Jonah, Jonah is a book that is surprising. It has moments of rich humor, but humor 
to awaken us to think about the mercy, the compassion, the wideness of God's love for his rebellious and fallen creation. The book of Jonah starts with a surprise. It starts suddenly, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This isn't just a fable. Many people nowadays say the book of Jonah is some sort of metaphor. No, it's not. The, the text argues very strongly against that. The word of the Lord comes to real people in real times about real issues. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah at a moment of Israel's critical history. The word of the Lord came to Samuel the prophet to set up kings like David and all the different things that happened there. The word of the Lord comes not as a fable, but to real people in real times in real places. And Jesus himself later on would use Jonah in his preaching as an example of a real reason, a real prophet who preached. He said that the people of Nineveh would receive less judgment in the day of judgment because they repented at Jonah's preaching. But here he was, Jesus in Capernaum, and they did not repent at his preaching. There was a greater one than Jonah. No, friends, this morning, the book of Jonah is real history in real time with a real God who intervenes into his creation because he has the power to do so. Let's not bring our naturalistic, rationalistic, enlightenment thinking to the book of Jonah. This is God working with people in real time, in real places to save and redeem and do his beautiful, glorious thing through his mercy. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah also is attested to in the second book of Kings. In Second Kings, earlier on, we hear of the prophet Jonah in verse 14 and 25. He's the son of a faithful man. The word Amittai means faithful. Jonah is the son of a faithful man. And he's a prophet who prophesies over Jeroboam II, a bad king. I mean, if, you're, if you had a poll of good kings of Israel, Jeroboam wouldn't be up there. And yet Jonah prophesied that Israel would expand under his time, and it did. So Jonah is a prophet with a track record of trusting the Lord, of following the Lord, and receiving the Lord's word accurately. As we come to chapter 1 here, it's tempting to look ahead to chapter 4, and I remember you do that a wee bit. Have you ever, are you that sort of person that when you get a book, you read the end to see how it ends? Because you can't bear the suspense and the tension the whole way through. And you, if you read the end paragraph, you know everything's going to be okay, and then you can enjoy the book. Is that just me? Yeah, that's okay. So we're going to do that with Jonah, and you'll not tell me off. Jonah's a remarkable man, and he's no fool. He behaves foolishly, but Jonah's no fool. He's a prophet who has served the Lord. He's a prophet who has had a faithful ministry. And he's a prophet whom the word of the Lord has come to in power and might. It's a startling message. Yes, arise. Our translation doesn't quite capture it. It's mercy. Get up. Go to Nineveh. Now, if you were Jonah at that moment, if you were holding a glass in your hand, you would drop the glass. Arise, go to Jerusalem. Yes, denounce the people of Israel for their sins, maybe. Go down into Gad. Go, go maybe across to Moab, where Ruth came from, but to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the center of the Assyrian military power of the day, and it was not a pleasant place. Nineveh was a city where the military amassed. The prophets Amos and Hosea, they were contemporaries of Jonah. They prophesied against Sarah. They talked about how an army came that was full of teeth, destroying and devouring everything in its path. And the one place it loved to devour was Israel. So the modern-day equivalent of this, and it is as shocking as this, would be the word of the Lord coming to somebody in Ukraine saying, go to Moscow and preach against the evil of Moscow. 
Such is the shock that Jonah would have had with this message. Nineveh was the enemy center of the enemies of the people of God. Assyria had done great harm to them. Their records of how they dealt with captives were appalling. Nineveh, the Lord rightly said, is an evil place. And yet the Lord says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. Now, we expand on this wee bit. If you go to chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah himself knows that when the Lord preaches judgment against the place, there is also the option of mercy because he is a gracious, compassionate, tender-hearted, forbearing, kind, magnanimous God. Jonah, go and preach to Nineveh. Go and preach in judgment. Go and preach the mercy of the Lord because God decided that he was going to have mercy in that city. Oh, friends, Jonah is about the surprising mercy of God. Does it surprise you that God would have mercy in Nineveh? Does it surprise you that God has mercy on people we think are his deepest and darkest enemies? Have we forgotten just who God is? Jonah did. Well, he did and he didn't. Jonah is the first person we have in history who ran away from a guaranteed revival. Isn't that amazing? Jonah was, we pray for revival, don't we? We long to see it be poured out. We long to see God moving in power here. I mean, when you get, I'll, I'll give you, when you get, Jonah walks through the city and just cries out, God's going to judge you. And in three days, the whole place is having revival. It's one of the most greatest outpourings of God in the entire Old Testament. And Jonah wants to walk away from that. Jonah's no fool, but he does behave foolishly. And in this foolishness, he forgets the mercy, the surprising mercy of God. He forgets who God is. He wants God to have mercy in Israel. He wants to enjoy God's compassion for himself. He wants to hoard it all up for his people and the rest of them. And I use this language advising the rest of them be damned. But that's never the heart of God, is it? Isaiah, Israel, you were called to be a light onto the nations. The light would be bright in you, but the light would go out from you and diffuse into the darkness around you. What was it said of Jesus in his birth, John, or John? Isaiah chapter 9, the light comes into the world. People dwelling in deep darkness, on them a light has flashed and shone. God's heart is to have mercy and compassion. God delights to save and move in unlikely places at unlikely times to redeem unlikely people. God surprised Jonah by saying, go to Nineveh, I'm having mercy on them. The surprising mercy of God, verses 1 to 6. So Jonah gets this message, and what does Jonah do? We, we all know the story a wee bit. Jonah rises up, has his Weedabix, and then goes the other way. Tarshish, we reckon, is in Spain. Nineveh was 600 miles from Jerusalem in the day. I mean, it was a long journey to Nineveh. He would have to walk six over to the east, thank you. It was way over this way. Spain's way over that way. Jonah goes as far as he can away from Nineveh. Now, some commentators reckon that Jonah knew he could flee from the Lord. I, Jonah's smarter than that. Jonah later on when he's testifying to the soldiers says, I serve the God of the land and the seas. I mean, Jonah knows that he cannot escape from the presence of God. Jonah's a good free church Scotland Presbyterian. He knows all the Psalms. He knows Psalm 139. Where shall I flee from your presence? Shall I reach up into the heavens? No, you're there. Shall I ascend into Seol? No, you're there, O Lord. What Jonah tries to do is to forestall God's mercy. Jonah knows that God's going to use him to preach mercy, so Jonah puts himself out of the equation, and he tries to get as far away from them as possible to stall God's plans. 
I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yet how often do we do that? How often do we know that we serve a God of love and of mercy and of grace, a God of whom we pray to and who will use us if we let him? And how often do we say, actually, Lord, you're great, but, you know, let's keep a wee bit of distance here. Yeah, God, I want you to use me, but, but not that much, actually. Oh, God, you're not going to send me to talk to those people, are you? We're just more polite about it. We say we're using wisdom. We say we're being mature about it. Jonah, at least, is up front with the Lord. He says, eh, eh, Lord, I'm not doing that. See you later. Notice here, too, Jonah's progression. The Lord tells him to get up. Jonah goes down. He goes down into the boat. He goes down to Joppa. Joppa is in modern Israel. It's Jaffa nowadays. It's just outside Tel Aviv. He gets down and down. And notice here, too, the danger of providence. Last week, we looked at the book of Ruth, and we saw how God's providence worked through mighty ways, where Ruth had her feet directed to the field where Boaz was. But providence isn't always the right way to measure God. Opportunities aren't always God's doors opening. Jonah turns up at the port. There's a boat that happens to be going the other way. Happy day, says Jonah. This must be it. Judge God by his character. Follow God according to his word and his commands. Don't try and discern him through providence. It doesn't work. Root yourself at the cross. Fasten yourself with the anchor to the rock that cannot be moved. When the billows come and go, which they will, fasten yourself onto Jesus Christ. Jonah takes this opportunity. He goes down into the boat. The Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea. This is a strong storm. These mariners are tough sea dogs, and they were afraid. But look here, too. God is having mercy in Nineveh. But God is also having mercy in Jonah. That's a great encouragement to me, isn't it? He has mercy in the wicked city of Nineveh. Nineveh, Nineveh needs, you know, if, if you put Nineveh in Facebook, it would say the great evil city. Jonah's a prophet of the Lord. He should know better. And yet God has mercy on him. God will not let him go. Does it not surprise you of the mercy of God in that? Penny, you quoted it earlier on, 1 John. He is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, he will forgive. God has surprising mercy in the city of Nineveh. He has surprising mercy in Jonah. How great is our God? How warm his heart. How tender his mercies. His steadfast love is new every morning. And his mercy is so great that he sends a storm upon the sea to get Jonah's attention. It gets even better. He's going to get eaten by a great fish as well. Isn't that fantastic? Imagine having that in your missionary profile. But notice here, too, the surprising mercy of God. Jonah is basically being an anti-missionary and an anti-evangelist. I'm not going to talk about God. I'm not going to share his mercy. Jonah's plucked into this boat. The storm rages up, and God's surprising mercy breaks out on the boat. These sailors are terrified. I mean, I love a rough crossing. I think I was sharing. I don't know how we were talking about it last week when we did Ruth, but I love a rough sea crossing. It's brilliant. I'm like Captain Pugwash in the front there. But this storm sounds pretty intense. They wake him up. Isn't it sad to see the prophet of God asleep in the midst of a crisis? Isn't it sad to see the church of God asleep in the midst of a nation that is struggling and crying out for the gospel? Isn't it sad to see brothers and sisters of Christ asleep when we 
know that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If we share that, how will they know unless they have heard? How will they repent unless somebody tells them? And here in the midst of this crisis, Jonah is fast asleep. The captain comes down and gives him a good boot in the ribs and says, Oh, you get up. And I love this. When we go and share the gospel of God, God's been at work before us. You ever find that? It's a nervous thing to share your faith, isn't it? I, I, I dread that moment when I'm on a train journey or a plane journey and you have a conversation with somebody and they turn to me and they ask me, what do you do? Because I know the conversation is going to go one of two ways. If I say I'm a Baptist minister, they look at me as if I'm the Antichrist and the conversation just stops. Or else it goes the other way, which can be really interesting sometimes. Do you want to hear? Give a thought to us that we may not perish. Perhaps your God will think about us. Isn't that amazing? God is the one who's sending Jonah to Nineveh. God's the one who wants Jonah to have mercy in Nineveh. God is having mercy on Jonah. And these sailors, these sailors say this word to him, perhaps your God will think about us. Of course he's thinking about them. How many times have you shared the gospel with somebody and they've said, is that true? Can that be true that God actually cares about me? People are hurt. People are lost. People are longing for something that gives them more than money. Money's handy, but gives them something more than the hits of drugs they're taking. Something that actually satisfies the entirety of their being. To be loved more than they thought possible. To be forgiven for the things they have done more. A slate white clean and a Holy Spirit to transform them. People are crying out for this. And they go about it the wrong way. But if we believe what we do about the gospel and about our Lord who has made all things, who has put eternity in the hearts of each one of us, and who gives us the offer of salvation, then this world needs to know this good news. Perhaps their God will take a thought for us. We serve the God who takes more than a thought for us. And by the way, friend, if you're saying there this morning, thinking, that's great all about all the people out there. You, his people, he takes a thought for you too. You'll see later on how Jonah, I mean, Jonah is one of those grumpy guys. Have you ever come across people who just, they must have been born in lemon. And they're just constantly, they've got a face on them like a bulldog chewing a wasp. They're just, they're never happy. Jonah's one of these guys. You know, he's almost comical. He, he's like a character from Fiddler in the Roof. You know, Oive is mere. Nobody has suffered like I have suffered. Yes, Jonah, we know. God gives him a plant because he's getting his wee baldy head burnt, and he's all happy about his plant, and then his plant dies, and he, he's upset. He's a grumpy soul. But even that grumpy soul, God loves him. God cares for him. God has mercy on him. God says to him, Jonah, I care for you, but I also care for the people of any. Should I not have pity in that great city in which there's 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Go. The surprising mercy of God, the surprising mercy of God at work in others, verses 7 to 16. The sailors panic here in the midst of the storm. They resort to what they know, their own primitive religions. They cast lots to see on who the evil, why this is happening. The lots fall on Jonah. So they said to him, 
tell us on what account does this easel come? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Who are you? Here Jonah is forced to testify. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah testifies to the goodness of God, even though he's done so almost out of reluctance. And the men were afraid. What have you done? They knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He had told them. I mean, imagine telling somebody that. I believe in God. He's great. But by the way, I'm running away from him. And yet, do we not do that, brothers and sisters? The church, the church, and I'm guilty of this myself, we know that Jesus calls us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. But he also calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we are called to love. And when we testify to the goodness of God, if we do not follow through, with that in our feeble actions, as they may well be, then we do the same thing as Jonah. We testify, but there's no reality of it. And people look at us and say, well, what's that all about then? And notice here the kindness of strangers. The Lord writes, the Lord has given us the book of Jonah 1 to show us that his mercy is not just limited to the people of God, but is to the whole world. But also to, to show us that the people out there, that them compared to the us, aren't as bad as we think. These sailors here, these sailors, these cutthroat sailors, they do everything in their power to try and save Jonah's life. It's not amazing. Jonah, who wouldn't have given them the time of day, he'd give them money, goes down into the hole, has a good sleep, has a wonderful snore. These guys are perishing. And they do everything in their power to try and save Jonah. The surprising mercy of God is at work too in their lives. God is at work before us. We believe that when we are called to testify to the goodness of God and show it through our deeds to be a witness to Him, that His Holy Spirit starts working in other people's hearts. It's the Lord who saves. It's the Lord who transforms when the Holy Spirit falls in somebody. And God is at work in people, but He uses our testimonies. He uses our sharing the faith. He uses the foolishness of preaching. He uses churches. He uses Jonas as part of that process to see us and others come to Him. We are ambassadors of Christ. Christ making his appeal through us. Be you reconciled to God. Isn't that amazing that we're part of that work? Are you still with me? Yeah. That's good. I'm glad of that. These sailors throw everything in deceiving Jonah. They row and row against the dry land, but when God has set his means on doing something, it is impossible to move him. The storm grows more and more tumultuous. The wind and the waves, they start hurling way down in the middle of the ocean. And Jonah at last discovers his courage. Jonah at last discovers his compassion. Reluctantly, albeit, but this is why I say Jonah is no fool. He behaves foolishly, but he is a prophet of the living God, and there is work of God in his heart. Jonah says then, pick me up. Throw me into the sea, and it will quiet down for you. I know the Lord has done this. That's why God doesn't give up on Jonah, because Jonah still trusts the Lord. I remember that. Do you remember that remarkable scene with Meshach, Abednego, and Shadrach, and Daniel? Maybe your Sunday school teacher got you. Remember those guys by make the bed, shake the bed, and into bed you go? <laughs> Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Please don't remember that. Of all the things I've said today, I know that's, that's so screwed. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. 
And I love that scene there before the big fiery furnace. The furnace that's heated up massively. The heat's so strong that when the guards approach it, the flames come out and consume them. And they say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we will not be wise to answer you. If God delivers us, he will. But if not, and it's that if not, we still trust him. Cast us into the furnace. That's faith. And a faithful God. And as they tumble into that furnace, they don't know what's going to happen. And as they land at the bottom of the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace, and no longer is there three of them, but there's four and one like the Son of Man who's walking around with them. Jonah's a fool. But, sorry, <laughs> Jonah's foolish, but he's no fool because he still trusts in the living God. And friend, if you're here this morning and you've been like a Jonah, God has given you a clear task and a clear mission, and you've done everything you can to avoid it. If you trust him still, turn around and he will have mercy on you and he will use you in powerful ways. God is the God of second chances. His mercies are new every morning. I know that. I couldn't stand up here and preach to you this morning unless I knew his mercies were new every morning. So Jonah is told to be thrown into the sea. Jonah gets thrown in. Well, actually, notice here, sorry, verse 13, let's not do these guys a bad name. They try and row harder and harder to get back to dry land. God's mercy is at work in their lives because, as we'll see in a minute, they start to pray to the Lord. I love that. Jonah, the anti-missionary. Jonah, the one who has put his lamp under a bushel as hard as he can. God still uses him to witness to these people, and they get saved. This is a genuine conversion. Some of the commentators, commentators can be really grumpy people. Like some of the course, oh, well, this isn't a genuine conversion. You know, they were just upset because the sea was very rough and they, they, they had a flash in the pan and the way home they went to have their tea. Really? Oh, Lord. The word there they use for Lord is Yahweh. They've come to know the name of the Holy One of Israel. Let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not innocent blood on us, Lord. You have done as you have pleased to Faith in a God who works all things well. They throw Jonah into the sea. Now, please don't do that as your evangelism opportunities. They throw Jonah into the sea. It ceased from its raging. Reminds me of the Lord's son, Jesus, as he walks in the water. The sea ceases from the raging. They fear the Lord and make vows and sacrifices to him. The writer of this book actually is quoting Psalm 115 and Psalm 135 there when it talks about people outside of Israel coming to trust in the Lord. The Lord uses Jonah even in his messes. Friend, if you trust in the Lord, if you cease being surprised by his mercy and truly contemplate who he is and how his compassion works, he will use you even as we stumble along. I had a friend once who was, he never, he, he didn't even realize he said this. It was pure sermon gold. It's one of those moments he said it and we, we all stole it from him. But he was preaching once. He was preaching about the jars of clay. Know that in 2 Corinthians, we have treasure in jars of clay. Now those jars of clay, they, they were sold in the markets in Philippi. There were these, they were sold basically by the Ikea of its day. You pay 50p for this thing that you looked at and it would break. If you ever pay 50p, you know those things, you, you just touch them and they break. I remember I went to, um, where was it? Somewhere in Belfast to buy a coffee percolator because I like a good cup of coffee. Who doesn't like a good cup of coffee? Oh, the smell of it. You tell, I haven't had my coffee this morning. I'm really upset. Uh, we bought this percolator. I bought it three times because every time I looked at it, the thing broke. The jars of clay are like that. 
And this guy was preaching, and he said, Oh, Lord, let your light shine through even the cracks in our jars. Didn't realize he'd said it. Felt the bullet from him. Let the light shine through the cracks in our microphones. <laughs> when we trust in God, He doesn't call us to perfection. Yes, He is transforming us day by day into His likeness. We have a goal that will take us to be like Jesus. But He knows we're not perfect. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need grace. We're not Pharisees. We're sinners saved by a remarkable grace who showed surprising mercy to us in unlikely places. And when we trust in Him and we follow Him faithfully day by day, step by step, even in our cracky moments, His light will shine through us because it's Him who does the work. It's Him who does the saving. It's Him who uses us if we let Him, but we have to let Him. And here Jonah bless Him, even though he's made a complete hash of it. He finds His compassion. He's thrown into the sea and these sailors are transformed. The surprising mercy of God in surprising ways. Lastly, verse 17, you'll be glad to hear. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, people seem to stumble over this, but the God who made the heavens and the earth can surely make a great fish that will eat Jonah. That, to me, just doesn't baffle me at all. And there's recorded incidents of people who've been swallowed. But imagine your day. You're on your beach in Australia. You're having a lovely time. The sun's shining. Watch out when you're in New Zealand. And this shark whale comes and eats you. And you're in its belly for three days and three nights. This has happened. People have survived inside the belly of a great fish. I mean, it would be a bit stinky, wouldn't it? But this bear in mind who we're talking about here. The Lord and his province. The word there appointed at verse 4 is a strange word. It means that God had specially arranged this to come about to swallow Jonah. Jonah's been given a second chance in a strange way. As we'll see next week. He has to do some work with the Lord. So how do we go forward from this text, chapter 1? LBC, do not be surprised by the mercy of God. I'm not surprised by the mercy of God. The reason I'm not surprised by the mercy of God is because He has saved me. We used to sing a song in my old church, Each day your grace still amazes me. Each day your love still a mystery. I fall on my knees. Your grace still amazes me. Let us not hoard the goodness and compassion of God to ourselves. Let us not divide ourselves between them and us, but let's look out there and see the Ninevehs around us and go and preach the good news because God is at work in this city in ways that we would be surprised by. God's compassion is mercy. Jesus himself went into the midst of tax collectors. Nobody likes the taxmen, do they? I got a letter from HMRC the other day. I, was, I wanted to set fire to it. Tax collectors, prostitutes, publicans. In fact, he went to the places that nobody would go, and he preached the gospel, and those people responded to a real Savior with real mercy and real needs. Let's not become them and us. Let's go. My first ever work in church, it always stuck with me. I am, believe it or not, I used to be quite shy. People always laugh when I say, I used to be quite a shy person. and very quiet. I was very quiet too. Then the Lord got the hold of me. And when I got saved, I got saved and we, we, I got sent to college. And one of the things you had to do at your college was to do a placement. Now, I said to the Lord, right, Lord, I'm not very good at sharing my faith. I think I'll make a hash of it. So please send me somewhere that's going to be really difficult and will really stretch me. Now, bear in mind that I'm the son of a policeman. This is Northern Ireland. 
So the Lord sent me into an ex-IRA estate. And not just any ex-IRA estate, it was in West Belfast, so this was Jerry Adams' country. So I was talking about Jesus by day, and my dad was arresting them by night. Um, <laughs> thankfully, they never made the connection. But do you know the heartbreaking thing for me about that ministry? There was only five of us. And I'm not making myself out to The Lord put me there. It wasn't me. It wasn't, I, 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 I was like, Jonah, I didn't want to go. There was only five of us out of the whole of the churches in Northern Ireland that went there because it was a Catholic estate. And I had church leaders say to me, in the biggest denomination of the land, why are you going to them? They don't need the gospel. Really? And me being stubborn said, I ain't going to go all the more, so I spent three years doing it. But how often our churches do function like that, do they not? We're not going to them. We're not going to Nineveh. We're not going to get our hands dirty. Why should they get the gospel after all they've done? The Lord says, go, for he will have mercy on them. Let us not limit the surprising work of God's mercy. Let us not be surprised when we see his mercy at ours. Let's spend our days praying. I know it's cliche, but actually it works. Spend your day, start the day praying, Lord, send somebody across my path today whom I can show your mercy to. He does. The surprising mercy of a good God who brings real hope in real time to real people. Let us as a fellowship go forth from here with the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us stumble, let us make mistakes in our outreach, let us get things wrong at times, but let us do it because God has shown us compassion that we must show to others. Let us be tender-hearted. Let us be kind and sympathetic and forbearing and magnanimous. And as the storm of God's wrath does come down, because there will be a day when God will judge the world, let us tell people first that there is one who jumped into the storm and the sea for us. Not because he was forced to, but because in love he came and laid down his life that we could be forgiven. Have we considered afresh the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ? As we come to communion now in a few minutes, let us not do a Jonah. Let us not take and turn away and think about our shopping or our lunch. I know you're all hungry. Let us refocus ourselves on the wondrous cross where the Son of God gave his life. Where grace and mercy flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crime? Let us consider that mercy. Let's receive it afresh for ourselves. And then let us go out and show it to those around us in Jesus' name. Does that sound like a plan? Let's pray. Lord, it's easy to preach like that. It's easy for us in some ways to look at the text of your mercy and compassion but help us not just to stay there. Help us to consider it afresh, but then to go. Help me to go, Lord. Help us as a fellowship to go out, to show that good news. For we know that there is a God in heaven who delights to save and redeem all who call upon his name by repentance and faith. Remind us of the whosoever, the whosoever's who walk the streets in High Street, in Silver Street, 
in Mint Street, the whosoever's that dander through Sudbrook, Cherry Willingham, whosoever's who walk the streets of London, York, Edinburgh, Dundee, Belfast, Dublin, the whosoever's who are walking the streets of Mexico, Korea, Australia, New Zealand. I'm sure there's a few in Antarctica. The whosoever's. The whosoever's who you have appointed for your mercy and who you have appointed us to go will be the bearers of that good news. So send us out, O Lord. Take what was off the speaker and was not helpful and met fall to the wayside. Lord, I don't want to mess around up here. I want to give your word. And we want to follow it to bring glory and honor to your name. For you are worthy of it. And we thank you for this, for Jesus' sake. Amen.